Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. A spell that was written 400 years before the birth of Christ. And is it possible that someone could love euthanasia so much that they asked the government to pay them for the privilege of killing the disabled? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Hope you're having lots of fun. You know, I read a lot of zombie stuff. I watch a lot of zombie movies. There's one story that I've always kind of feel that's left out of the zombie mythology. You have a group of survivors in a house. They've survived the initial 24 to 72 hour onslaught of the zombie attack. They're running low on supplies. And they're sitting there. There's maybe about five of them. They know each other fairly well. Their supplies are running low. And they're sitting there and they're thinking, we need to go out. We need to go out into this horde because we can't last much longer. And so they begin to draw up plans. They pack up their gear, whatever weapons they have available. Because across town, they know there is a pharmacy full of Xanax, Vicodin, Oxycodone, everything that they need. What happens to drug addicts during the zombie apocalypse. That story's never been fully explored. We had a touch of it in The Walking Dead, which I still watch. I still like that show. I know a lot of people have given up on it. There was this young man who was, like, alone. He was an alcoholic. He ended up joining the group, and he actually ended up getting a member of Rick's squad killed trying to get alcohol. And it was exposed that he was an alcoholic. And then they had a little hint of it in World War Z, Where, love it or hate that movie, I think the first two-thirds of World War Z are fairly competent. Up until the plane crash, the movie's actually, it's not as good as the book, but it's it's a well-done, big-budget zombie movie. And the first two-thirds of it, I thought, were were solid. It had its flaws, but the first two-thirds of it was good. The last third of it was garbage. But they had a scene in that one where Brad Pitt goes to get an asthma inhaler for his daughter. That was one of the flaws in the first part of the movie. It was stupid. But anyways, he goes to get an asthma inhaler for his daughter, and there's a junkie in the pharmacy that he has to talk down to get. So, because that guy went there specifically for the drugs. What happens to people who are drug addicts or alcoholics during a zombie infestation? We're not going to run into them as we're trying to get food and water or get out of the city or to fortify our buildings. You will be running into people whose sole goal at that moment is to get more drugs. And that would be, that's an interesting, they'll have to get food as well, but that won't be their main priority. You also, I think, would be an interesting story is people who need drugs. Not something like an asthma inhaler or or insulin, but imagine a zombie story with a character who is on psychiatric medicine to prevent them from having, like, delusions or hallucinations or the voices in their head or whatever it is, like a severe case of mental illness, and a zombie attack happens, and they don't have that medication. So they're not only fighting the zombies, but they're fighting the insanity in themselves 
as it slowly begins to creep out as they're on their way to try to locate some more of this fairly rare medicine. Interesting. I think I think a lot of the zombie stories have been done to death. My least favorite zombie story is five years after the zombie attack. We're rebuilding. A lot of low-budget zombie movies do that because they don't have to have large crowd scenes. I think zombie movies can be done without large crowd scenes. One last thing before we get started. I actually saw a movie the other day. You can kind of consider this a Dead Rabbit Recommends, but I saw a movie the other day called Raccoon Valley. It was a zombie movie about a deaf girl Deaf woman, try ah, deaf girl, whatever. About this deaf girl trying to navigate the world of zombies. The whole movie, it's her. There's no dialogue. There's a little bit of news reports. I think there's maybe only two or three zombies in it. And you're watching the movie. It's beautifully shot. It, it, it looks like a dream. It's just amazing. And at the ending, it's kind of more, I think, aimed at art students. It's only an hour, or like film students. It's only an hour long. And it does, it's not super weird. When I say film students, it's because you watch this whole movie, it's beautifully shot, and the whole movie costs $175. Not to watch, but to make. I'm assuming that doesn't, I'm assuming the actress must have known the director, but the director edited it and wrote it, did all the VX, all the um, uh, special effects for it. And the ending credits shows how much of the movie was special effects that she didn't realize. Like, streets were just all special effects. She was just walking by, like, this corner, and they put in this whole lane and made it look forested. whole movie cost $175. The director of Raccoon Valley was a man named Turner Clay. I've actually seen... He's done three zombie movies now. They get progressively better. He did um, Disaster LA or Emergency LA or something like that. That was okay. Then he did State of Emergency, which I actually, I used to have a movie review website. I'll post the link below, but I really enjoyed State of Emergency. It was a great little zombie movie, and the zombies were very, very creepy and fast, and they they could open doors. I tell people, have you ever been so sick you haven't been able to open the door? Like, zombies will be able to open the doors, unless they're truly, like, come back from the dead. If they're rage-induced, they'll be able to open doors. And then Raccoon Valley is his latest movie, and they've just gotten progressively better. So hats off to Turner Clay. If you're looking for interesting takes on the zombie genre, I definitely recommend State of Emergency and Raccoon Let's go ahead and get started with our first story. Now, this first story is interesting because there's nothing, I can't really find anything on it. And I know you're thinking, oh great, it's another one of those, Jason. It's another one where you say I can't find anything on it because alien blobs are re-racing the internet. And that's not where I'm going with this. I think it's something that there is a particular group of people who are very, very interested in this, and they don't know about it. There are resources on this, but they're not very robust. And what we're going to talk about is this thing called the Ephesian Grammata, or the Ephesian Letters. So we're going back to 4th, 4th or 5th century BC. So we're way back in time at this point. People are walking around with, like, sandals... And this, I imagine the sun was a lot hotter in the past. I don't know why. I always think that. I always assume like the Romans are like, oh my God, it's so hot. And nowadays you would like just be like walking around in a sweater in Italy. I don't know. I assume everything was hotter in the past and it's just gotten progressively more temperate. But anyway, so Romans are walking around. They're sweating. They're like all wet, just dripping wet everywhere. They got their vaginas that put their swords in. That's a callback joke. The... On a statue of Artemis, they found these six words. And these are the words here. Ascion, Kataskion, Lix, Tetrax, 
Damanius, Isaiah. Apparently, that's a spell. It's a protection spell. And if you, and here's the thing: nobody really knows what it is. It's these six letters. They found those six words. They found those six words on like belts and amulets and things like that. And that's why uh, historians have thought it's probably some sort of protection spell. And people have said, again, people, I, I, nobody's really saying I said this or I said this, but the general theory is, is that if you pronounce it correctly, it's a powerful protection spell. That's it. That's all the information we have, really, on this. And you're thinking, wait, Jason, the, you know, you're going to keep talking about this for more than two minutes. I, let, let's break it down for a second. So you're a historian. You find the statue in, you find the statue of Artemis in, in, in Ephesus. Ephesus, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but I'm sure I mispronounced everything, the spell and everything. But you find it there, and people have spent a ton of time trying to figure out if the words are related, if they if they mean something else. People have had different theories as to, like, some, some people have said it means, like, shadow, shadowy, earth, moon, sun, or whatever. Other people have said it refers to six particular deities that you're calling upon for protection. But nobody knows. Let's go ahead and get started with our first story. Now, this first story is interesting because there's nothing, I can't really find anything on it. And I know you're thinking, oh great, it's another one of those, Jason. It's another one where you say I can't find anything on it because alien blobs are erasing the internet. And that's not where I'm going with this. I think it's something that there is a particular group of people who are very, very interested in this and they don't know about it. There are resources on this, but they're not very robust. And what we're going to talk about is this thing called the Ephesian Grammata, or the Ephesian Letters. So we're going back to 4th fourth, fourth or 5th century BC. So we're way back in time at this point. People are walking around with, like, sandals. And this, I imagine the sun was a lot hotter in the past. I don't know why. I always think that. I always assume, like, the Romans are like, oh, my God, it's so hot. And nowadays you would, like, just be, like, walking around in a sweater in Italy. I don't know. I assume everything was hotter in the past, and it's just gotten progressively more temperate. But anyway, so Romans are walking around. They're sweating. They're, like, all wet, just dripping wet everywhere. They got their vaginas that they put their swords in. That's a callback joke. The On a statue of Artemis, they found these six words. And these are the words here. Ascion, Kataskion, Lix. Tetrax, Damanius, Isaiah. Apparently, that's a spell. It's a protection spell. And if you, and here's the thing: nobody really knows what it is. It's these six letters. They found those six words. They found those six words on like belts and amulets and things like that. And that's why uh, historians have thought it's probably some sort of protection spell. And people have said, again, people, I, I, nobody's really saying I said this or I said this, but the general theory is, is that if you pronounce it correctly, it's a powerful protection spell. That's it. That's all the information we have, really, on this. And you're thinking, wait, Jason, the, you know, you're going to keep talking about this for more than two minutes. And so generally the way I prep stories on this show is I will find a particular subject that I'm like, that makes a good episode. I'll grab a couple resources, throw them in a text file. I'll look over it and make sure that it, it will be interesting. Throw it in a text file, drop it in a folder. And then as I'm getting closer to prepping the episode, I'll grab that text file. I'm glad I'm telling you all this because now a hacker will just get in my computer and delete all my research. Actually, only prep like a week ahead. It wouldn't be that big of a thing, but 
as I get closer to doing the episode, I'll pull the pull the uh, websites back up and then look at it for an additional like five or six or whatever. So I'll usually start off with two or three and then I'll I'll find more resources. When I was doing that to prep this episode, everything was just kind of the same, saying the same thing. We don't know what this is. We think it's a spell, a spell that existed 400 years before the birth of Christ. So, I mean, you want to talk about like ancient magic. This is it. I mean, outside of stuff in the Old Testament, which really isn't spells. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's there's claims of magic in the Old Testament, like Moses throwing his staff and it turning into a snake. What's interesting about that story is that in Christian in Christ, in Christianity, there's this whole thing like, you know, black magic is bad and it doesn't work and everything comes from the divine. I, I'm but I'm bastardizing it, really. But you know what I mean? Like generally, like all strength comes from God. But in that story in the Old Testament, the Egyptian pharaohs, visitors, they th- or whatever you called them, his magicians, they threw their staffs down and they turned into snakes. And then Moses throws his staff down, turns into a snake and eats the other snakes. Now, if you take that story by face value, those the Egyptian pharaoh had like warlocks working for him. In the Bible, they it wasn't like Moses goes, ha that's fake. I saw him come out of your sleeve and your stick, you'd like kicked it underneath Pharaoh's chair and it was fake. But here, watch, God makes me make a real snake. That's not what happened. He throws his staff and it, there are a bunch of, there's like four snakes rolling around on the floor and everyone in Egypt, nobody blinks. They're like, uh, it's a Tuesday. It's snake day. That's so bizarre. So does that mean that the Pharaoh actually, ha- if you take that, if you take the story at face value, Christian or not, especially if you're a Christian, then you would say, whoa, there were like wizards walking around back then. What other magical stuff was happening? Because generally stuff in the Bible, like the the mystical stuff is from God, the burning bush, the chariot of fire, all that stuff is like divine. But this is like dudes throwing sticks and turning them into snakes. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So I guess there were wizards back then. And Moses, Moses was like saying, my God's more powerful than your God. But he didn't like call him out and say, that's fake. You totally faked that. No, he's like, oh, I better make a bigger snake to eat their snakes. And then what happened to his snake? Now that I think about it, did it turn back into a staff? Like, was that snake sentient? What happened to that snake? Did it slither away and did he buy a new staff? What happened to a staff? Where's his staff at now? Anyways, totally getting off topic. Maybe that should be its own story. Ephesian Grammata. These words are so ancient. Nobody knows what they are. Nobody knows what they mean. I'm researching it. There's a book that explains it. I read a review on the book. It's 115 pages. And the guy's like, yeah, this guy really has some interesting ideas. You know, he goes, some people take a very literal approach. And this author had some really interesting ideas. And that was the review. I was like, oh, okay. Go to look up the book. It's 100 bucks. It's 100 bucks for this 115-page book. It's totally out of print. Go on eBay. There's no copies available. Check that other couple book sites. No sites available. It could be somewhere on the internet, and I'll keep kind of looking around because I'm definitely intrigued. This is the interesting thing about spells like this, is that if you believe in things like... If you believe in any sort of magic or metaphysical or stuff like that, you could say that the words are magical, or you could say that the sound is magical, the vibration is magical. Because I was looking up this YouTube video and this woman was like, oh, it doesn't matter how you say these things. And she didn't even, she mentioned the Ephesian Grammata, but she didn't go. She was just talking about spells and foreign languages. She goes, you can translate it to English or translate it to your language and it'll still have the same effect. And I don't think that's true. I think it would have, if, if you accept that spells are real, 
I think you have to say that the sounds themselves are what make them powerful, not necessarily the intent. For something this old, that maybe the the very like vocal frequency of saying these six words in combination affects the area around you and protects you. It could just be gibberish. It could just be something that put on the bottom of the statue, and then a bunch of other people put it on pouches and belts and things like that. Could be an ancient spell that is so powerful that people don't want other people to know about it. Or it could just be a, I don't know, (laughs) I guess the regular spell is kind of an oxymoron, but it could just be a spell that nobody's really examined. But again, it's so weird that people who are like totally into like paganism and magic and stuff like that, I thought I was going to find a ton of resources on this and like blogs and pronunciation videos on YouTube, nothing, nothing. Which makes me think not that it's necessarily being suppressed, it just makes me, it just reminds me that the world of the weird is so vast that incredibly interesting things get brushed under the rug. People always ask me, hey, how long do you think the show will last? Do you think there's enough stuff for the show to go on for a couple of years? I go, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm discovering new stuff all the time. New weird stories all the time. The next story we're going to look at is about euthanasia. So there was a guy named Satoshi Umimatsu. This is in Japan. Now, he believed he used to work at a facility that dealt with people who were physically and mentally disabled. And he worked there for a while. And he just saw these people going through. They couldn't. Some of them couldn't communicate. Some of them couldn't move. Just heartbreaking. Some of them were born with disabilities. Some of them became disabled. This facility treated people from like 18 to 70. It was just like kind of an all-purpose facility in Japan. And it was just eating at him that these people were trapped in this in this physical hell, in this mental hell. They were disabled, especially the ones who couldn't communicate. So he wrote a letter and went to hand deliver it. The, 2016 is when this takes place either. This isn't like a long time ago. 2016 is when this takes place. So he writes this letter and he hand delivers it to the Speaker of the House of Representatives of Japan. So basically it would be like, Who's our guy right now? It's not Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. They're like the minority leaders. It's um, Boehner's gone now. Who? I, 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 it's not like I don't read the newspaper every day. Uh, it's a Republican. I don't remember what his name was. But anyways, uh, McConnell? Anyway, so imagine that he... I mean, it's that level of a politician. It's a national politician. The guy's name is Tadori... Sorry, Tadamori Oshima. You guys are already like crap. He's doing a Japanese episode. He's not going to be able to pronounce any of these names. Don't worry, it gets easier. So Satoshi writes this letter, and he goes to hand-deliver it to Tadamori Oshima, he's the house speaker. And the guards won't let him through. He comes back a couple days later, and he gives it to a passing police officer and says, Hey, can you give this letter? It's very, very important. Police officer goes, Yeah, sure. So this is what the letter says. Thank you so much for reading this letter. I can wipe out a total of 470 disabled individuals. Let me remind you, this guy, he's 26 years old, Satoshi, wrote that in a letter to give to a national politician. I will start over. Thank you very much for reading this letter. I can wipe out a total of 470 disabled individuals. I'm fully aware that my remark is eccentric. However, thinking about the tired faces of guardians the dull eyes of caregivers working in the facility, I am not able to contain myself. And so I decided to take action today for the sake of Japan and the world. 
My reasoning is that I may be able to revitalize the world economy, and I thought it may be possible to prevent World War III. Envision a world where a person with multiple disabilities can be euthanized with an agreement from the guardians when it is difficult for the person to carry out household or social activities. I believe there is still no answer about the way of life for individuals with multiple disabilities. The disabled can only create misery. I think now is the time to carry out a revolution and to make the inevitable but tough decision for the sake of all mankind, let Japan take the first big step. Would Mr. Tadamori Oshima, who bears the world, use his power to make the world proceed in a better direction? I sincerely hope you would deliver this message to Mr. Shinzo Abe. This is the answer I reached after serious thinking about what I can do for humankind. Dear Lower House Speaker Tadamori Oshima, would you lend your power for the sake of dear Japan and all humankind? Please give this full consideration. Satoshi Umamatsu. So you're like, Jason, okay, he's crazy. Whoa, 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 why are you interrupting me? You didn't let me finish. Because that was the sane part of the letter. What I just read to you was actually the part of the letter that I could see any politician getting from a weirdo, other than the first line about it wiping out 470 people. That's the part where you read the letter and you're like, well, that's kind of weird. But that is the normal part of the letter. So don't interrupt me. Here's the rest. The plot. Now he's going to go over his plot. Now again, he handed this to a cop in front of a politician's house. The plot. It will be carried out during the night shift when staffing is low. The target will be two facilities where many multiply disabled people reside. Uh, Bad grammar, but... Staff on guard will be strapped with cables so they can't move and can't make contact with anyone outside. Again, gave this to a cop. The act will be carried out speedily and definitely without harming the staff. After wiping out the 260 people in two facilities, I will turn myself in. And carrying out the act, I have several requests. After my arrest, my incarceration should be up to two years and please let me lead a free life afterward. Innocence on grounds of insanity, a new name, Takashi Iguro, government registration, and documents such as a driver's license needed for everyday life. A a disguise for regular society through plastic surgery. Financial aid of 500 million yen, which is 5 million US dollars. I would like these conditions to be promised. If you can make your decision, I will carry it out at any time. Please consider this fully for the sake of Japan and world peace. I hope with all my heart this can be discussed with Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, although I am sorry to trouble him in an imagine unimaginably busy schedule. So he writes that letter, tries to hand deliver it to the politician, doesn't. He, he can't get past the guards, comes back a couple days later, gives it to a police officer, who then I probably reads it at the time, but eventually it does get to, I believe, the... The politician, but also the police are involved right now, and they're like, okay, so this guy wrote a letter where he said he wanted to kill a bunch of disabled people. He knows when he wants to do it, the facilities he wants to do it at, and then thinks we should pay him $5 million for the pleasure of him murdering all of our disabled people. So the police do what police often do. They arrest him because he's a lunatic. They have him involuntarily put in a psychiatric ward, and he is there for a couple days, maybe a week or two. And they said, ah, he's no no trouble. He has no threat to society. 
she's a crazy person, writing a crazy letter. On July 26, 2016, so you know where this is headed, Satoshi Umamatsu, at 2 in the morning, goes to the care facility he used to work at, climbs through a window, ties up the staff like he said he was going to do, took out a knife, and went room to room, stabbing people in the neck. Walk into the room where there was a severely disabled person, couldn't communicate, couldn't move, stab him in the neck. 19 people were killed. 26 were injured, and out of those 26, 13 were severely injured. So, I mean, you're probably even more disabled after the fact. And he leaves. He gets away. The cops get a call at 2.30, so 20 minutes after he broke into the facility, the cops get called. The cops don't show up until 3 in the morning. And it has been called the one of the worst crimes committed on Japanese soil in modern history. It was just mass murder with knives. And he felt that, like he said in the letter, that they were a drain on society, that they, ca- they caused misery, not only their own misery, but the misery of other, like, other people. Other people had to care for him. So by killing them, he was actually doing everyone a favor. The cops are looking for the dude. And then he just walks into the police station with a bag full of knives and a bunch of blood and goes, I'm turning myself in. That was part of his plan, actually, was that he was going to do it and he was going to turn himself in. And it's interesting because I think he really saw himself as a hero. He still thinks of himself as a hero, actually. He does say that it's weird. It's so weird. His defense in the trial, he hasn't been sentenced or anything like that. This is still an ongoing thing. He said that in his trial, he's going to claim they're not, they weren't human anymore. So he didn't really kill anybody. They're just not human. Brutal, man. That is some brutal delusion. And it sucks because the I think law enforcement acted the way that they needed to act originally where they arrested the guy. But then you throw him in the medical facility and you start interacting with people who may be a little more, a little more a bit of a bleeding heart. And they're like, oh, no, he's just a young kid. He's just misunderstood. He's no threat. And they let him go. And then he does this. 19 people killed. But yeah, I mean, the horror of being in bed and you're physically disabled and a guy is coming from room to room stabbing people in the neck and you hear people in the rooms down the hall and the guy's getting closer and you're calling out for help and the staff's tied up and eventually your door opens and you're you're paralyzed. You can't do anything. That's horror. That's that's terrifying. That's nightmare fuel. So hopefully this guy they're talking about the death penalty may be on the table Life in prison, whatever. He's definitely not getting two years of new driver's license and 500 million yen. That's not happening. But, uh, yeah. Crazy. Crazy stuff. It's good that he turned himself in. He was planning on hitting another facility. And he was like, nah, I'm good. Crazy, creepy world out there, guys. Crazy, creepy world. You never know what lunatic's gonna kick down your bedroom door and want to cleanse you from the earth for whatever bizarre, sick reason. And on that note, deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.